Another episode of Ban on Sports. I am your host, Brennan the Freeze. Uh, joining me this week is Menopause Nick. Yo. Uh, we've got Newman. I like math. And we've got Monkey Claw, Andrew Blake. Toronto and Edmonton, just pathetic. <laughs> already starting with the hot takes i love yeah, it that's not really a hot take it's more of just like a fact <laughs> so uh that's a great way to start it off this episode we're going to be discussing the first round of the nhl playoffs have just ended so we're going to be going through each series seeing what each team that lost needs to do to improve in the off season and uh then we're going to preview the matchups for round two all right, all right. Let's do this. Let's start off. Uh, we're going to start off in the East Division. Uh, we're going to start with the number one seed versus number four seed, Pittsburgh Penguins. They lost uh, to the New York Islanders. Um, Pittsburgh's already has a rather old core, as it were. Like I was quite impressed with the surge that they were able to do right at the end of the season, to take that top seed. Um, but is it really surprising that the Islanders took that series? Well, with Barry Trotz, you know, his def- his defensive system and, like, just Barry Trotz in general as a coach, it doesn't totally surprise me. But it did a little bit, mostly because I kind of picked Penguins to win the Cup. So, Nick, picking someone to win the cup does not like count as reasons why someone lost. Maybe if it's my dad. Is there there a way I can facepalm react as in audio (laughs) form? Uh, You could make like a slapping sound and we could just assume that that slap is you facepalming. No, with Andrew in the room, the slap could mean a whole bunch of other things. Okay, let's see. (laughs) <laughs> okay listen let's just Barry Trot's best coach in the NHL yes just throw that out the door his descent system throw that out the door Th- this series was decided by one player and one player only this Tristan. series was decided by Tristan Jar. I'm sorry but the guys in the series mm-hmm. it absolutely did and it's not even a question Legit is Tristan Jari did not play, and they had a goalie that was like, I'm not even saying top five goalie. I'm just saying, like, out of the 16 teams, a top eight goalie, they probably would have won the series because they outclassed Islanders a lot. And it just that Jari just like some were like direct turnovers from him into his own net. Like, it, it was bad. Please see what is it. Game five, uh, double overtime, where he literally, uh, with the, the basic rule they teach you when playing defense or goaltending is when you have the puck in your zone, you always clear it down the sides 
because if you send it down the middle, that's where the uh, enemy team's forwards are, and they're going to get the puck, and they, that's the best point for them to shoot. It's the most dangerous area is right in front of the net. And what did this guy do? In double overtime, he has the puck. He decides, oh, I'm going to shoot it down the middle. I, I do have two guys. I have a guy on each side that I could pass to that could clear it out pretty easily. No, I'm going to shoot it down the middle onto the tape of the other team. And the other team player is going to come right down the middle and go glove high on me, which is literally my weakest spot. Doesn't this help this that, to do. Mm-hmm. and it doesn't help that you know his right was a wide open Evgeny Malkin. Like I think it's interesting that um the goals expected. I'm pretty sure um that Pittsburgh out of like I think it was, it was a six game series, right? Out of six yep. games, I think four of yeah. them they had more goals expected than Islanders, and it wasn't like it wasn't like fifty forty. It was like sixty thirty sort of thing. Like their five on five play was sixty compared to thirty Islanders. Their goaltender just didn't let up. I think like um if they can free up some cap space and get a goaltender or even like um I forgot the backup's name already. Um Casey Smith. Yeah, Casey Smith can step up. Something along those lines, maybe. But um I think their team is still pretty good. They're getting older, but a, a year or two left. Especially, you don't doubt them, but I, well, the and, and it's it's because they have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, right? Like, as long as those guys are playing, you still have a chance at a at least a long playoff run because they have so much experience. And Sidney Crosby at one time was the greatest player in the league, right? So, like, I think, and I'm gonna go ahead and say not to take anything away from Ilya Sorokin because he played outstanding. In that series, I'm just uh, looking at his uh, stats. Game six, he posted 34 saves on 37 shots. Game five, with the double overtime, he posted 48 saves on 50 shots. Like, it's not like uh, Pittsburgh was uh, playing, like, getting shut down in the offensive zone. It was just solid goaltending along with a great defensive system. All right, moving on to the matchup in the East Division. We had the Boston Bruins playing against the Washington Cattles with Boston defeating them in five. Boston kind of started the season not cold, but not really hot either, uh, as Menopause Nick would put it. (laughs) Um, But they started off injured in this season, correct? Someone want to verify that? I know the perfection line we talk about, um, Mina, would you like to talk about them a lot? The... Brad Marchant, um, Patrice Bergeron, and David Pasternak. I'm pretty sure that all of them didn't even start the first game, and they only started getting going maybe a quarter into the season, all three of them. And that really slowed down the Boston Bruins. But there's a reason they call, they're called the perfection line. And I think on top of that, all of them making $6 million, and that's only 18 in total compared to look at any other team's top line. Um and it's ridiculously cheap for those three. So I think it's that's what helped Boston the most. Um, Washington also has its problems, like goaltending. The kids, the, they're like legit kids playing in, goal, in net for Washington. And you're going against Tukarask, one of the best goaltenders in the league. 
Um, so that is difficult in amongst itself. I, I feel like uh, Washington. Yeah, go ahead. Brandon. Go ahead. Uh, I was just no, gonna say, go I feel like I feel like Washington is a team that should at least be able to take it to more games than just losing five. Um, what do you think was the detriments to their game this series? Like, I, I well, a lot of people when they hear Washington, they might, might think, oh, they should be a lot better. They won a cup back in uh, twenty eighteen. The problem, the difference is though, um, when they won that cup, they had the best coach in the league, as we've mentioned before, Barry Trotz. And this guy could actually get the team to play hardcore defense. He could get Ovechkin to block shots. He got them. He figured out a way to get them to play enough defense that they would, but they would still get their offense going. Ovechkin would still get goals from his office. And I guess from what I know, they didn't want to pay the coach. They didn't want to pay Barry Trotz the money he wanted. So then after they won the championship, Barry Trotz, went to the Islanders, who were going to pay him the money. And for me, they've just never been the same because they don't have that coach. Yeah, I kind of agree. Like, you look at Washington, and, like, they have a lot of similarities from that cup-winning team. It's just coaching is so different that I think it's been a real detriment to them since, since that cup run is they just can't get the same coaching that they got with Barry Trotz, who I would argue is the I want to say the best school, the best coach in the league, but I also debate that with Joel Quinville. But I'm going to say for just to say, I think Trotz is the best coach in the league. So it's been difficult for Washington. I think the and as, and as my Steve Brown colleague pointed out, um, the goaltending is an issue right now for them. When they won that cup, they had Braden Holtby playing like Braden Holtby, who was lights out. Now they have Samsonov, who's still trying to figure out how to handle the puck behind his own net. Yeah, that's what I was about to mention with um, him and Schultz just forgetting where the puck is and no one knowing where it is. Those are just like, they're legit rookie mistakes. He's a rookie or second-year goaltender that's really starting still. He'll eventually be good, but right now it's not what Washington was needing. I think Washington is still like a good team. It's just that there's a few things missing. Like, their um, defensemen are mostly offensive defensemen. Their goaltender is weak. Their forwards are still good. I think um, the coaching is what the Barry Trotz is what took them to, like, a top, top, like, top three, top two team for that couple of years. But after Barry Trotz, I still think they're, like, a top ten team, but um, they got matched up with Boston, who... Legit has a line that we call the perfection line. Well, and the thing is, too, with Washington's cup win, you look at it, and even Holpe's backup was Philip Grubauer. Hmm. So, like, they had a lot better goaltending than they do now. So On that point, though, Grubauer, um, during that season, looked really good in the regular season, and he started game one for Washington, but then was garbage game one so then they went hopefully and never looked back he was garbage game one and game two i remember and then they switched to Holby yeah. and yeah to be fair grubauer now with his new team colorado who we'll get to later um he's playing really good 
he yeah he just got nominated for the Vesna today. So you got to remember, rookie goalies like my friend Brendan will always say they're voodoo. Dude, and it's not just rookie goalies; it's goalies in general. Like, frick, we saw in Edmonton, Mike Smith, who is thirty nine years old, put up a top five, top six uh, season. You you don't see that anymore, and that's why like you're never quite sure what they can do until you actually get them out there. It's why like it's 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 why I say it's voodoo because goalies you're never a hundred percent certain. Like okay, so like a uh, guy like Andre Vasilevsky, who we'll get to pretty quick here, um, you know he's going to be good. Like you know he's going to be a damn good goalie for most of if not all the season. But you get some guys that will just come out of nowhere and they'll only do it for one season and then regress or they'll suddenly like, I don't know where, hey, I'm just going to go decide to be a starting goaltender. So it, it, I think like a lot of it's on who you have coaching the goalies. And I'm uh, I'm sure I'll bring it up a lot this season, but I believe one of the best goalie coaches in the league is currently uh, with Vancouver. Um, so I don't know. It, it's just always voodoo to me. So who knows? N- in the next couple of years, Ilya Sorokin, uh, Ilya Samsonov, like those guys might explode and become some of the best in the league. But Another you're never exactly. going to. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you're just never going to know until it actually happens. Another example of that would be uh, Jordan Bennington. Well, Bennington is not like young, though. That is also true. Like, Jordan Bennington went on an insane hot streak when the entire team was going on an insane hot streak, and it was kind of revealed, I think, in the last, in this two, next two seasons following, that he's definitely a tandem goalie. Where if he's playing with somebody who's fighting him for that number one spot, then he plays a lot better. It's very evident to me that the moment they traded Jake Allen, like Bennington doesn't have that same drive because he's now nailed down that starting slot. Absolutely. Shall we move on to the next division? Yeah. um, Speaking of goalies, this one uh, I think was a pretty fun goalie matchup. We had Carolina beat the Nashville Predators in six games. Yeah, And y'all know that deep down I was rooting for Nashville because I personally just adore anytime there's like an upset in the NHL. Um, but it comes down to goalies again. I mean, uh, they had Carolina was running with, uh, Alex Nedeljkovic or Nedeljkovic. However, there you that's go. That's um, but Nashville made it a series with UT Saros absolutely standing on his head. Yeah, I think so. If you guys remember, my good old um take from the last episode was that Carolina was gonna win in three games. Well, I was um <laughs> twice as wrong as I thought I would be. Um, uh, I think the biggest reason I thought um Carolina, I don't think they have the offense that I thought they had. Their defense is still crazy. I think Slavin is one of the most underrated players in the game. But they don't have the offensive firepower that we think they do. And you think like, oh, Aho, Sveshnikov, Teravainen. And um, yet they're not still getting the results 
that we hope for. And I, I and you have to understand in playoff hockey, everything gets more tense, physical, and all that stuff. So I think that coupled with Saros playing really well and Nashville's defense being top tier, it was really difficult for Carolina to score. And so that is what made it close. Well, and I'm just looking at it now, right now. I'm, I have the stats pulled up. The first two games, Carolina wins 5-2 game one. Carolina wins 3-0 in game two. And then that's where the series really took a turn because both game three and four in Nashville, the Predators won both of them in double overtime. So you got to think, they played a six-game series, but realistically, they played probably eight games worth of hockey in those six games. Yeah. Um, and to me, as someone who, like, I do follow Nashville decently close, and to be honest, I think their problem that they need to address in the offseason is the same one that they've always had to address in that they need better offensive guys. Their defense is solid. Like, it, it's always been solid. There is something about Nashville in defense and goalies that's just, like, naturally talented, but their offense always seems to be lacking. And I think that's where they need to really target somebody that's offensive-minded in this offseason rather than going for... I mean, I've seen a few names. I've seen the people speculating that maybe Ryan Nugent Hopkins would go over to Nashville which I feel like would not be a good fit because it's just more of the same. It's another Matt Duchesne. It's another Ryan Johansson. Guys that aren't number one centers or aren't number one uh, forwards, but will play number one forward numbers because they couldn't get anyone better. And like, I, I feel like they just need that pure offensive skill to finally get over the hump. UC Saros has proven himself to be a number one goalie uh, in the last year and a half. And I think if they could get him a good backup, because Pecorine is not, he's not the go-to guy anymore. But if they could get a solid backup and have just some pure offensive firepower, then they could really make another deep run. Uh, Brandon, before we move on, uh, before anyone else adds, I just have one question. When you say you don't think the news would be good for Nashville, are you saying this with your mind or your heart? Because, like, are you saying your mind that, oh, I don't think it's a good fit, or your heart because you don't want him to leave Edmonton? I, I am saying it with my mind. When I'm on podcast, I try to stay impartial. And when I look at a guy like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, he's a very well-rounded player. He's not going to put up – he might put up 50 points for you. Um, he's solid on the power play. He's solid on the penalty kill. He does a lot of things – okay like he does a lot of things good but nothing great and i feel like in the last five or six years that's all the players that nashville seems to be signing in the offseason when you get uh their ryan johansson's been there for a long time but he's the same kind of guy matt duchene is a very similar mold even signing uh michael granland again in the offseason he's good but it's the same kind of player like Honestly, if they could land a guy like Taylor Hall, then I think that would actually help. Um, if we're going to go into Nugent Hopkins speculation, if he doesn't end up re-signing in Edmonton, I would see him more inclined to probably go to a team that, like, so how Taylor Hall went to Boston. Like, he's going to want to go to a team 
where he doesn't have to be the guy driving the line because he's not a guy driving. Like he's not a line driver. He's a great complimentary piece and he does a lot of things really well. Um, but I don't see him going to a team like Nashville. I know Columbus has thrown their name around. It's going to be interesting, especially with the flat cap going into the off season, because you're going to see a lot of teams just not wanting or being able to spend money. I think a big issue with Nashville is that no one wants to go to Nashville. Like Nashville is known as the music city. You go there for music. You don't go there for hockey. Um, like they don't get very good free agents. They get draft picks that they build up into stud defensemen and stud goalies and they ride them. And um, so I don't, and the taxes are not good in Nashville either. So they, they just have everything against them to um, get these big name free agents, especially big name offensive free agents. And they're always mm-hmm. going to play defensive style, which is doesn't lean well to scoring points and, uh, offensive players want to score points because, well, more points equals more money for them. So it is difficult for Nashville. I think right, Nashville. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as Nate. Like, I've been to the city of Nashville and it's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful city. But like, it's not one of those cities that's gonna. It's not like L.A. or New York or Toronto where free agents are going to want to go there because it's the big city. Or a place I like think, Florida where there's or, no tax. Yeah, exactly. So I don't... That's kind of, I think, the big issue with Nashville. But, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as Nate. Speaking of Florida, I think that's a good enough segue to get to our next series. I know a lot of us wanted this series to go to seven games. Unfortunately, it did not. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning ended up defeating the Florida Panthers in six games. And I I don't know what Florida needs to do. Like, it feels like every time they finally get to a point where you say this is the year, they either completely crap the bed or something happens that still makes them crap the bed. Let me tell you exactly what they're going to do, Okay. This is exactly what Florida needs to do, what they're going to do, and what they should do. They <laughs> come back the exact same with a healthy Ekblad, and they play Spencer Knight. They will do really well. All right, they these guys legit went against Tampa Bay, who is probably one of the top three teams in the league. They're like I'll say top four actually. I'll say top four teams in the league, and they did. They just won the cup, and they're also seventeen million over the cap. And Florida went toe to Florida legit went punch for punch toe to toe with this team, without Florida's best defenseman, and a eight a twelve million dollar goalie that let led kept letting in a goal per million dollars he was making. Okay, <laughs> so. As long as Spencer Knight plays and Ekblad comes back healthy, I don't think they lose any crazy free agents. And um, let me just double check. I think they just need to restructure their um, third line. But after that, they're coming back really strong. And I think I mentioned it earlier. I told in the last um, podcast, this this wasn't their year. This was their year until um, uh, Ekblad got healthy. 
But as soon as he got injured, um, then I knew that they didn't have a chance, especially against Carolina or Florida. Oh, sorry, Carolina or Tampa, who are really good teams. So, but this team is still young. Hubidor, Hubidor and um, Barkov, still one of the most underrated forwards in the league. Their defense is good. If Spencer Knight is even 80% as he uh, was in the playoffs, they'll have a good year. So my question is then, what do you do with Sergei Bobrovsky? He's making $10 million for the next, I don't know, four or five years. You tell him he's your guy, and now you've got this upstart kid who is very much better than Bobrovsky. Like, do you try and bribe Seattle to take Bobrovsky in the expansion draft? Or, like, I, I don't really, like, I, I don't see how you can be paying a goalie $10 million and then straight up tell him, yeah, you're the backup. I, I, I have trouble seeing that. But I also look at Florida, and I see a team that, uh, has been in this position before where they did really well and then lost in the first round of the playoffs. And the last time that happened, they completely blew up the team. Like they shouldn't have blown up the team. They had a really good team back in, I think it was 2017, but they completely blew it up because Pittsburgh won that uh, year with grit or something. And they decided to just completely blow it up. And that's my one fear with this franchise is are they going to just do it again? Like, I agree with you, Nate. They absolutely should just stay the course, bring back as much of the guys that played this year as they did or as they can and go with the exact same team next year. Um, but my worry is this is a very reactionary team and I could absolutely see them making some moves that completely screw them over and they're back in the basement again. I think they're I think they're too good and I think they know like they know how close they were, especially since it was an injury. It wasn't like, oh, we're missing this all star defenseman, we're missing this forward. It was legit like, oh, we had the defenseman. He was just not in the lineup. And then on top of that, like there's lots of young defensemen like we uh uh Uyghur. Was it Uyghur, Andrew? Uyghur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uyghur. Uyghur. Um like it was playing well with Ekblad, and then after Ekblad left, stepped up their game. So he's going to learn from this. Um, Montour is going to learn. Strawman is always good. Um, Gudis is a heavyweight. I can't remember the rest of their D, but um, they're, they'll they'll get better. Well, and I think, I think um, sorry, one more thing. Um, I think also making Sergey Borowski the backup. I don't think it matters. You pay him. He's, if he's playing terrible, you just say, you're not playing good enough, you get, deserve the backup. Money doesn't have anything to do with that. My one question I was going to say, uh, Nate, who is, uh, what do they do with Drieger, the third goalie, who is the UFA? Do they just let him walk? Do they try to get Seattle to take him? What do you think? Like, that's going to be, like, I, I think it depends on what happens to Brabowski. Like, I don't know, I just don't... I can't imagine Seattle taking Murawski. I don't know, like, yeah. what would you what would you put with him? A, fir- a first and a prospect? Like, I don't know. I don't think that even gets it done. Like, first, prospect, like, maybe two first? I don't know. No, just taking $10 million of a goalie that's not going to be good. I think he has another, like, five, six years at this. So I don't know what uh, he get, um, uh, what someone takes. I think you either... 
like let the Seattle take um, Dreiger, or you just let him walk. I, I I don't think there's anything else you can do because like I think the best course if if you had Dreiger Knight as your next year um, pairing, but I don't I don't see a way Barossi leaves. Well, see, here's the thing. Drieger is a UFA, so they don't have to protect him in the draft. And Spencer Knight is still a rookie, so he does not have to be protected. So they will actually have to protect Bobrovsky due to rules. But I think there might be something. Like, I'd have to look into it to actually see. And I'm sure we'll cover it when we actually do get into covering the expansion draft when we get closer to that. But I, I would, like, if I'm Florida... I would do anything that I can to get Bobrovsky moved um, because that $10 million could go towards so much more, especially like they were so close this year. If they could use that money to actually sign some key players so that even if Ekblad went down with an injury, they could still push forward, then I think that would be ideal. The issue is I don't even think Buffalo is desperate enough to get Bobrovsky. Like, that's how, like, I don't think there's a team that's like, oh, I could, uh, Barbosky benefits my team, and I'll just hit, the, I'll take the cap. I don't think any team in the league is like, I can do with it, deal with that. Like, I could see, the only team that, like, possibly is Seattle if you put enough prospects and picks into a trade, but that's, that's, I would, I would applaud the Florida GM if something like that happened. Mm-hmm. As long as Florida doesn't, crap the bed with the expansion draft like they did last time where you know they gave them Riley Smith and Jonathan Marchessault well they gave them Jonathan Marchessault to take Riley Smith that was the whole thing um but with that uh I think let's we can now move on to the uh west division let's start with uh Let's start with the blowout here. Uh, Colorado defeated St. Louis in four games in what some are saying is the most one-sided series in the last 60 years. Last 50, 60 years. I was reading a stat, and I I think the stats said it was uh, one of the top five lopsided series of all time. And I don't, I don't think it counts like the old and DC or like the w- ones that didn't have stats, but like mm-hmm. that's still a ridiculous stat that it was that lopsided. I'll tell you exactly what I think St. Louis needs to do. Blow it up, rebuild because this St. Louis oh, team is just garbage. <laughs> uh, I would argue that they're not completely garbage. They've got some really good pieces. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly, they still have him. Uh, Pareko, who was injured for a good chunk of the season. Um, I still argue Bennington's a good goalie. I don't think, like, all-star elite is going to lead you to another cup like he did before, but I think he's still decent. Um, They got this Cairo guy who seems to be this good rookie. They also have, uh, oh, who am I thinking of? Uh, like, I still think overall their decor and forwards are all right. I don't think it's as spectacular as it was before. Um, this upcoming offseason, though, they already have Schwartz, 
Jaden Schwartz, who's a big part of their offense, who's going to be a UFA. And I know there's a lot of teams looking at him and that want to pay him. So I'm curious if they can re-sign him. Uh, I think one of the biggest things they also lost from this year compared to previous years is they didn't re-sign their captain, Alex Petrangelo, uh, who's this top defenseman in the league. He's not the best, not the best defenseman, but he's up there, especially for the offense he chips in, and he's decent on the defensive side. And he was their captain, and they didn't re-sign him. He went to Vegas because everyone goes to Vegas apparently. And they tried to place him with a gently used Tory Krug from Boston, but it just wasn't the same. Plus, St. Louis, uh, for most of the season, was really injured. Uh, so they couldn't really, like, get their chemistry going. But, like, if you look at the stats, the only reason St. Louis was there was because for um, the best out of the worst. So San Jose, yes, my team. L.A., Anaheim, uh, Arizona. So it didn't matter who was getting that fourth spot. St. Louis just happened to get it. They were going to lose to the top seed, whether it was Colorado or Vegas. But I don't think they blow it up. I think they still have some pieces, but they definitely have some work to do. And I would probably try to find a better goalie to work with Bennington. See, and that's where I was. Oh, sorry. Go Go ahead, Nate. I agree with Andrew, um, like that the team is not like terrible. They don't. I don't know if they should blow up. The issue I find with St. Louis is you got to think about the other teams, right? So like Colorado is going to be good this year, next year, probably the year after, and probably the year after. And is there a trade that makes St. Louis the favorite in that division next year when we go back to our? normal divisions. Well, like, probably not, right? So, you have to think about, like, is there a way that this team can get better to pass the other teams like Vegas, St. Louis, um, which are leading the, um, let's call it the West um, west and um, North sort of thing, side. So, I think it's going to be difficult for them, and so I, I get what Nick is saying by the blow-up, because, like, how are you going to compete with those top-end teams, right? And giving up your best defenseman and your captain is not a good way to um, create a good atmosphere for your team. I was going to say, like, I, 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 I do kind of agree with you guys, Nick, and Nick. Um, I, I think they're kind of at that crossroads now where it's like they could attempt a retool where – Rather than completely blowing it up, maybe try and move a couple of futures for some better players. Maybe move a couple of things around. May like losing Petrangelo was a huge loss. But I once again like I'll I think that he should have kept Jake Allen because he's done pretty good for himself in uh, Montreal, and he was able to push Bennington to actually be that number one starter. Um, but yeah, it's the same kind of thing. You're looking at the division next year. They're going to have to go up against Colorado. They're going to have to go up against Dallas. They're going to go have to go up against Winnipeg. Um, that central Minnesota. division and Minnesota. Exactly. Like, like you look at the other teams and I think they could do a retool, but I don't know, like it, it's going to have to be a decision. Do you try and retool and stay competitive or 
do you make that decision to blow it up? And I think because they won a cup in 2018 or 2019, sorry. Was it 2018 or 2019? Yeah, 2019. Because they won the Cups, especially so recently, they're going to be more in the mindset of a retool as opposed to a full rebuild. Um, So we'll have to see. Uh, Moving on, the other series that we had was arguably one of, if not the closest series, at least in my opinion, that we had in Vegas narrowly eliminating uh, the Minnesota Wild in seven games. I think Minnesota is going to be back next year. I think they're going to add some more pieces and they could be a big threat in the Central Division next year. And in the West in general, like, they looked really good. Kaprizov is going to be a superstar. Like, they're just a good team. Andrew, go ahead. Okay, Nate. Nate. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, Andrew. Okay. Um, Well, what Minnesota was showing these playoffs is my Brown uh, colleague's favorite – play style in the NHL and that is the trap game where they play all defensive they wear you out and you're just not getting quality looks and eventually they will be to break through uh, pounce on a couple opportunities and score and win the game like 2 nothing, 1 nothing, something like that and they had a guy who could do that this year, Kaprizov the problem was they were facing one of the best teams in the West in Las Vegas, but they showed they could go toe-to-toe with them, and their defense, their trap system was actually working on Vegas. The problem is they, Vegas also had Marc-Andre Fleury, um, who's playing like an all-star right now, and he, uh, he was able to stop them uh, on most nights and was able to make some key saves. He didn't steal the series. Like, as my friend Nate has also pointed out, for some of the games, Minnesota didn't get quality looks. Like, they still, I think, need some more offensive power. Like, maybe they could try to find something in free agency. I don't know their cap situation that well. But they'll definitely be better next year. And, like, for me, this is a team that's always been mediocre. And now, with Kaprizov, um, and finding chemistry with Matt Zuccarello um, and Kevin Fiala, this team can finally start making that step out of mediocrity. Like I, I would like them to see if they can add a bit more offense power on the forward line. And this year could be more like uh, a year to build off of. Like I never thought this would be their year. Like I thought maybe they could. Uh, Steal a playoff series, and they almost did against Vegas. But I think they'll be better next year. But as Nate's pointed out, the issue is that division they're in. They're going to be competing with the likes of Winnipeg, Colorado, and it's it's hard when you're going up against teams like that, especially Colorado, who's just a juggernaut right now. Yeah. So the the biggest issue with Winnipeg 
is they're just in the wrong division because like um, when they go back, to, not not this year per se because this year helped them a little bit. You mean Minnesota? Year, oh, sorry. Yeah, what did I say? Um, you said Winnipeg. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so Minnesota, when they go back into the central for the when we're back to normal standings, well, Nashville's in that, Winnipeg's in that, Colorado's in that, um, St. Louis is in that, Dallas, who's going to finally be healthy, is going to be in that. And so that that's like five stacked teams, or not? I'm not gonna say stack, but five very good teams. Um, and so that hurts Minnesota. I think they are better than people expected. Kaprizov is a gem; like that guy is amazing. Um, and the trap, the trap is very defensive. Like Andrew said, it's a very good um, system. I just don't know how they improve to the next level. Like they need something that pushes them over the edge, and I don't know what that is. And maybe a free agent, maybe a trade. And um, when I see it, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's perfect for Minnesota. But I have no clue what that is. Um, it, there needs to be something that puts them into the tier of Colorado, Vegas, um, Boston, Tampa, like that, the top tier of teams. But they are coming up. Like when we talked about Washington going down, Pittsburgh going down, well, um, Minnesota is one of the teams that's moving up in the world. And that's a good sign. Yeah, I, I don't really have much else to add. Like it, it they've got some young pieces. They I think they could go far. Maybe if they add a couple more forwards that can put it in the net, as opposed to just exclusively relying on Kaprizov, then I think they could go far. Um, but yeah, no, they look good. I think they definitely will be back. Moving on to the <laughs> North Division. This is, this is where we are going to have some interesting takes. Um, we're going to start. We are going to start with uh, the Winnipeg Jets have swept the Edmonton Oilers in four games in what I would probably call one of the closest sweeps I think I've ever seen in my life. Almost every game, two of the games went to overtime. The last game went to triple overtime. Um, each game was like a one goal game. Um, but I think the biggest thing it did was expose that the Edmonton Oilers are at this point, still a one line team. They rely very heavily on their top stars and the backing cast on the forward end is just not good enough to make up for that. And Winnipeg absolutely exploited that. You saw it in their defensive structure, which was basically if they can contain or smother McDavid and Dreisaitl and then rely on Connor Hellebuck to just do his best, then they win the series nine times out of ten. Nick, go first. Yeah, I think I'm sad to bring it up because I hate bringing up that series. But yeah, it's honestly, they figured out how to contain Dreisaitl and McDavid and that's how they won. Like, and it, like at the same time too, like there were a lot of bounces that Edmonton just couldn't get, scoring wise, especially those first two games. Like, at a between two games, they had two goals, like one goal. Like, it was just madness. But yeah, like at least it was a close series. And I think going back to the Pacific Division next year, I think Edmonton's gonna make the playoffs again because you look at that division and it's just bad. But yeah, I I still honestly don't know what to say about that series. 
All right, Nate. Uh, or I don't have a I don't have a lot to say because I'm not a fan of Edmonton, but I'll say this: a sweep is a sweep is still a sweep, and for a team that when you have when you hear all this talk about having the top two guys in the league, Drysaitel and McDavid, and having over a hundred points, and I asked you guys this last time because last uh, podcast, if you remember, my question for Edmonton was. How is this team different from the team against Chicago? How are we not going to have a repeat? And you guys gave me all your reasons. And um, I'm not saying it was the exact same issues as why they lost this year, but it's still the same result. And for me, right now, I have no faith in Edmonton. Sorry to say, guys, but I don't. (laughs) I really don't when it comes to Edmonton in the playoffs. Uh, Mike Smith was great. Um, I, I don't put the blame on him, um, but right now I just, one, I think they have a mental issue to uh, get over in the playoffs and need to find some success as e- evident in that complete choke in uh, game three. And two, they need to find some better uh, wingers to play with McDavid and Dreisaitl. They, it's funny because Tippett, after last year, he this starting this season, he said, we don't want to just rely on one line with Dreisaitl and McDavid. We want to have that split up and have two solid lines, McDavid and Dreisaitl, kind of like a two-headed monster that Pittsburgh had for many years with Malkin and Crosby. Well, near the end of the season, he went back to Dreisaitl and McDavid on that top line together. And that's what he did with... Um, in the playoffs, and they have Bully Arby was a great addition for the uh, from the wing this year, but other than that, I just don't really see much there. And they stacked their top line. Winnipeg figured out how to stop that line, and honestly, it was that they were going to lose. Like you, for me, after game one, I had my doubts, and I had my doubts going into it, and I'm going to have my doubts next year unless they improve. Uh, on the wing. And for me, I don't think they resigned the Nuge. I think they use that cap space to go sign a guy like Hyman or Jaden Schwartz and a better goalie to play with Mike Smith. Well, and that's, I think, part of it is uh, these last two years, the Oilers have been so strapped with the cap because of moves that Peter Shirelli made before he was fired that this will be the first off season that Ken Holland has really had a lot of money to play with. Um, we were, he was thankfully was able to get out of the Milan Lucic contract, but it still changed in James Neal. And I don't know, like you probably have to buy him out in order to get some of that extra space. Um, I think if you look at the two series, the first, the one against Chicago scoring was definitely not the issue. Um, Chicago was not able to contain, McDavid or Dreisaitl, but the goal, excuse me, the goaltending was not there. You come into this series and the goaltending was absolutely there, but uh, with uh, the Winnipeg Jets being able to figure out and completely contain McDavid and Dreisaitl uh, through all four games, then it really showed that the rest of the team just doesn't have that, like, the talent just isn't there. You look at uh, by 
the fourth game, you had McDavid, Drysaddle, and Pooley Arvey as one line, and then you had uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins playing with Devin Shore and Zach Cassie and guys who shouldn't be anywhere near the top six. So I think I think my the what the Oilers need to do is they need to shore up their scoring because their defense actually was pretty solid this year. Um, I think they're going to take a. They think they're going to let Tyson Berry walk because they've got the depth uh, in their rookies to come in and fill that gap. It's not going to be the point gap because Tyson Berry was very good at getting points, but it might be able to take over some of the defensive deficiencies. But definitely, they need at least a top six winger. They really need to shore up their bottom six to be more than just a shut down grinding lines and actually be lines that contribute to scoring because you look at a team like vegas they run four lines lines can score tampa runs four lines four lines can score so you're not only relying on your superstars but you're relying on everybody on the team and i think that's the big thing that was highlighted and and definitely not to take away from the jets because when they're fully healthy they're they're a solid team uh connor hellebuck he won the vesna last year like i'm not surprised like by the end of the series, I wasn't surprised because Winnipeg actually looked like a solid team. I think every, a lot of people counted them out because right at the end of the season, they went on a streak where they only won, like, what was it, like three games out of 15 or something. Um, so a lot of people looked at that and said, oh, they're not going to, this will be an easy cakewalk because Winnipeg's terrible. But going into the playoffs, the playoffs are a completely new season. So you can't look at it as, oh, they're just going to be easy to beat. And I think that was the same problem that Edmonton had against Chicago, where they looked at the team and said, these guys shouldn't even be in the playoffs. This will be an easy walk in the park. And did the exact same thing with Winnipeg. And it's definitely a mental thing that I think they need to work out. But I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what happens in the offseason. Also, uh, before but, Nate gives oh. his take, I want to say, can they please play Broberg? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just have one more thing to say. Um, currently, I have on my computer while we're doing this, I have the Denver Nuggets and Portland Trailblazers NBA playoff game. And I just saw a commercial for Corona with Snoop Dogg, and it was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Okay. <laughs> Nate, your turn. <laughs> okay. So, Corona's bad. Yeah. Okay. Um, I will quickly defend the Oilers first. And then I will rage and rant on them for a while. Okay. Oh boy. So first, <laughs> I will defend them. All right. So Andrew, you were saying that um this was a similar series to last year. I I think that is totally incorrect because last year we legit were the worst team in the uh, bubble, uh, bubble, and we legit got crapped on by Chicago, who honestly didn't deserve to be there. That that I agree was just a mental lapse. We absolutely were terrible, top to bottom. Everyone was terrible. McDavid, Drysaddle couldn't play any defense. Second, thir- third, fourth line couldn't do anything. Defense sucked. Goaltenders were abysmal, and we lost to a Chicago team that had playoff experience from years ago that came back and bit us. This year, we just we lost just we just lost to a better team. Like after the first game, you could tell Winnipeg was just straight out a better team. And the reason is, look at our our defense on paper compared to Winnipeg's defense on paper. Our defense is better on paper than Winnipeg. So if you look, compare one to one, two to two, three to three, 
our defense is better. But if you watch that series, you would have said, oh, our defense is way worse. The reason is forwards and goaltenders take pressure off your defensemen. So I'm not saying Mike Smith was bad because he was great. But Connor Hellebuck was a top three goaltender and he stole um, he stole a game or two in there, especially when those ones in overtime where Mike Smith couldn't steal those games. And Mike Smith, he played really well, probably a top 10 goaltender this year or whatever, but he's not the goaltender that steals a game for you. Well, Hellebuck was a goaltender that would steal a game for you. Now, in the same way, that takes off pressure from the defenders because they know if they let in a bad play or a bad shot, they have an all-star goalie backing them up. In the same way, every single Winnipeg forward were played defense. Every single one of them. Where you look at your first line, defensive masterclass with um, Wheeler and Shifley in them. The second line with um, Kyle Connor, they all played defense. The third line with... Um, to a ball. Actually, they might be switched, but um, whatever. They all play defense. So the best thing that Winnipeg could do is they were like, okay, Blake Wheeler, it's your turn. Guard McDavid. All right, done. Now Kyle Connor, it's your turn. Now Dubois, it's your turn. Right? And think about this. The fourth best center on Winnipeg is Paul Stastny. The fourth best center is Paul Stastny. Uh, I think last time or two times ago, Nick was arguing about if he's overrated. Well, if he's a second-line or first-line center, he's overrated. But as a fourth-line center, well, he's probably the best fourth-line center in the league. Right? So when we're looking at that, the whole set of Winnipeg took their strengths to cover up their defenses. Uh, Not sorry. They used their strengths to cover up their defects. So their, their weak defense, they covered it up with other parts that were amazing. Well, we don't have that type of thing, right? McDavid, even though he's like the best player in the league, couldn't cover for the defensive end because he's still learning, and he couldn't cover for the goaltender, right? So even though we played well, and that's why I can't can compare it to the Chicago series because we did play well. Like, um, we like fought and we fighted and uh, fought against this team that was good, and I don't think Chicago was good or deserved that. We just flaked out there, um, and also like. Technically, last year, we lost in the play-in, so we didn't even make the playoffs. But this year, we actually made the playoffs. So it is a, it is a stepping stone, but I know that's sort of a cop-out. And Andrew will be like, that's a cop-out. But that okay, is true. I, this, this, is the first, like this is the first one. Go ahead, Brent. I would, just, I, I would just like to add real quick, too, that series against Chicago last year, um, I want to add that uh, about a month prior to that play-in, uh, one of the Oilers' teammates, Colby Cave, he's playing in Bakersfield. He passed away. And with the pandemic going on, I know for a fact because they've come out and say it, none of the guys really got a chance to be able to grieve with the family. Um, so I'm absolutely certain that that had something to do with their men- mentality going in because they made a whole thing about how they were playing for Colby. But if none of the guys got a chance to actually grieve, like I absolutely think mentally they were just not in it because. You're playing in front of no fans. You're mourning the loss of, uh, from what I've heard, he was very, like, well-loved in the locker room. Like, I, I I can see where that would definitely be a detriment. Just wanted to add that in there. You can keep going now, Nate. Okay, so, but, yeah, I, 
Oh, yeah, just to summarize, I, I didn't think we deserved it yet, and I still think there is weaknesses on our team. Like Andrew, Brennan, and Nick said, our third and fourth line are um, terrible, like legit garbage. Like, we have Zach Cassian playing on the first or second line. I, Zach Cassian shouldn't be in the league anymore. Like, I, I just, it's really hard to watch. And I, um, Brennan, I think, was the one who said this. We had salary cap issues for a while. Um, yeah. And so I think that is helping. Also, so, uh thing that lots of people forget is we didn't play this season with our best defenseman. Our be- best defenseman was injured all season in Clathbaum. And we don't know, like, no one knows how about his health if he's coming back at all. But that could be a boost if we do get him back, um, especially with um, Nurse getting much better. It would be um, like a Nurse-Clathbaum pairing, I think, would be an actual legitimate top pairing for the first time in a while that we would have had. Yeah, but I think like I, I just, we didn't deserve it. Like our the um, Hellebuck played better than Smith. Winnipeg's defense played better than our defense, and Winnipeg's forwards played better than our forwards, and so we didn't deserve it. Anything else anyone like to add before we move on to our final matchup? I'm good. Andrew, everybody. I just want to say that when we get to the next series, I know you guys are going to crap on Toronto, which which they deserve it. Yes, they do. But when you're enjoying that, just remember that they accomplished just as much as Edmonton. Both teams yeah. underperformed. 100%. And uh, it's, that, that's the best segue you can bring it up. Toronto Maple Leafs lose in seven games to the Montreal Canadiens. And, like, so it's actually, I'm grateful, Nate, that you say uh, brought up at the beginning here that we should go through every team that lost and say, what can they do in the offseason or over the next, like, few months to improve? My trouble is I look at this Toronto Maple Leafs team and I ask myself, what can they do? Because this is, this is now the fourth season in a row that they've lost in the final game of the series. Um, they lose to Boston back-to-back years in Game 7s. They lose to uh, to Columbus in the play-in last year in five games. And then they go up on a 3-1 series lead only to lose three games in a row to a Montreal team that if, if these divisions were normal, probably wouldn't even make the playoffs. So I... I like as fun as it would be to just crap on the Leafs for another forty minutes, like I, I really just I don't know what they need to do to get them over the hump. I think my biggest fear with the Leafs would be like, and you guys know I'm a giant Leafs hater, but like the biggest, <laughs> the, biggest really the biggest thing I feel like with the Maple Leafs is like. Are they going to panic and trade core players away? Like, I've been seeing so many fans on Twitter saying how they need to trade Marner. And yeah, but that's, that's fans. Like, I know, I know, but like, is Dubis going to follow through with that or like with panicking like that? Or like, is he going to be smart and like retool this team? Like, that's what I really don't know with Toronto. Like, 
I don't know what they're going to do with the offseason, and I don't know what can get them over the hump. Nate? The best way to get over the hump, I think this, like, honestly, this year was their best chance, but the best way that they could have overcome the hump from this year to next year is um, get their second line center healthy. And I guarantee you, if Tavares was healthy this whole series, it's different series. Like, you could, like, that, that, how bad that injury was, and exactly like, um, like, um, Brendan talked about Colby Cave when he passed away. It affected you well. Like this, they watched this guy get knocked out right in front of them, and they still had to play the game and then come to the uh, two two days later and like while he's in the hospital, make sure they can play. And I think that took a toll on them. And you lose your best, especially defensive center, um, who is good at puck possession. And so I think that is difficult. Um, other things that I think they can help um, with is I'm pretty sure all three of their goalies are UFAs or like this year or next year. So they are getting some room to bring in someone else. They do have cap issues with these big guys. And like I'm already um, quoted saying that Mitch Marner is the most overrated um, player in the league. And I think these playoffs help my um, um, saying out a little bit. But like it's hard when you have so much cap. It's the same problem the Oilers have. We have so much cap in a few players. But I think that if they can restructure a few people, like the third line and uh, fourth line, um, they do have a chance. And their defense is actually pretty good now. And also that last game, game seven, Muzzin wasn't playing, and Muzzin was one of their best defensive defensemen. So they were, like, right there um, beating, and they just couldn't quite make it. I think the difficulty is going to be going back to that stacked Atlantic division um, next year. because like. Are they better than Tampa? No. Are they better than Boston? No. Are they better than Florida? Florida? Maybe. Are they better than Carolina? Like Carolina's in the Metro. Oh, is it in the Metro? Yeah. Okay, sorry, never mind. Yeah. Never mind. But that's yeah. this is where I wonder, like, is it maybe a mental thing? Because you've got the guy who just won the Rocket Richard, you've got a winger who was top five in scoring in this in the league this past year. But Arner and Matthews were held to one goal this entire series. Like, you can say, though, if they had Tavares in as healthy the entire time, he would have made the difference. But when your top stars just aren't scoring, like... I think this is the first year, though, that they lost and we expected them to win. Because, like, I think um, 2018, they lost to Boston, right? And Boston was better. 2017... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 17, they lost to Boston again. And Boston was better. 17 was Washington. 18, 19 was Boston. Yeah, so all three of those teams are better than Toronto. Like, everyone knows Toronto was going to lose those. So I can't blame Toronto for going against a better team and losing, right? We can blame Toronto for this one because they went against a team that everyone thought was worse. So I I think this is the first one I would say is like a, a mental collapse. The other ones is just, like, Boston's a better team. Like, Boston, we, we legit call the Boston first line a perfection line for a reason. They win games. And I can't blame Toronto for losing to Washington, stacked Washington team, or a stacked Boston team. So, um, then how, so then how do you explain them losing in five games to uh, Columbus after, like, looking like they should have closed it out? 
they just completely collapsed in the last game and got shut out. Like it's as much as it's, yeah, they played better teams in 17, 18, 19 in 2020 and 2021, they played teams that were arguably worse. And you look at all five series, four of them, the last four of them went to game seven or game five in the Columbus case and Toronto lost. Like you can say, Oh yeah, they were playing against worse teams, but they took it to the limit every time and just couldn't pull it off in the game seven. So I wonder if it's now become that much of a mental block where like they need to mentally say, we need to close this out. Like kind of like Washington did. How many years did they spend going playing Pittsburgh in the second round and then losing because, you know, that's what happens to Washington. The moment they finally beat Pittsburgh, they went on and won the cup. My my biggest issue with Toronto right now is, um, yes, they were up 3-1 in the series, and they blew the series and lost the game seven. But for me and my dad, probably one of the biggest Leaf fans in the world, uh, will say it's how they lost those last uh, three games and how they lost the last game in the qualifiers. Because you watch those games and it's like the other team is just dominating them. Like, they're not there. Like, there's no energy. This is a serious lynching game. And yet, you just don't see that tenacity to want to win. And for me, that's the most troublesome thing. Like, my dad won game six. Uh, after the first period, they're only down, I think, one nothing, And he was only telling me, no, we're going to lose this game. Like, Montreal's going to win this game because that's how poorly they didn't, like, that's how bad they didn't show up in the first period. And it was the same thing in Game 5 against Columbus. That's why they got shut out. And it was the same thing in this Game 7. Like, they seem to get up ahead, and maybe they just think it's over, but I don't know. They just can't seem to start on time in these big games. And for me, that is a mental block right now. I think. And I'm gonna, go, go ahead, ahead, Nick first. Okay. Um, just, yeah, Nick, go ahead. Oh, I didn't have anything to say. I was just okay. talking. Yeah, All right. Brandon. Um. Then um I um Brennan, go ahead then. Well, I was just gonna add, like, I don't want to take anything away from uh, Montreal. They played really good hockey. Uh, they absolutely. Carey Price absolutely stole at least three of those games. Um. Like, I don't want to take anything away from them. They played really well. Um, I just, yeah, I, I look at that Toronto team, and it's the same thing. On paper, they should win that series in four, in five, like everybody was predicting. But it's, it, I agree with you, Andrew. It has to be a mental thing at this point. Because I look at that team, I think, okay, maybe you could add a bit more depth on the third and fourth line. Maybe you could add a couple bit more depth in the defense. Maybe... Uh, like, but even Jack Campbell stepped up. He's been a better starter than Frederick Anderson. Like, I was watching uh, Steve Dangle did a video uh, this or last night, and he said you put in uh, Jack Campbell in those games against uh, Boston, and Toronto probably wins that series. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I, I, it must be a mental thing. It has to be a mental thing because I look at this team at least on paper and. I see a team that should be in the final four and they are out in the first round. Um, 
so I still disagree that it's not a mental thing because it's a it's the same thing with the Oilers. So it's a one-dimensional thing. It's that I can put my best defensive forwards in defense and block one or two lines, and I'm good. And I've already I've already said I think I haven't said it today, but I think I said last one. The best line in the playoffs has to be your third line because pretty much everyone plans for your first two lines. They cancel out. The reason Tampa won last year was because of how great their third line is. And and we usually call the third line the energy line or the it's a defensive line or something along those lines. And since Toronto doesn't have that, they don't have a line that they can put out there that can cycle the puck and just get the momentum. So um, like how we call it in basketball, it's like a front-running team. Toronto, Edmonton are good front-running teams. If they can just score a bunch of goals and get ahead of you, then they'll win the game. But if the game gets grindy and gets hard, they are very um, like they're very attached to the momentum. So if the momentum swings, then they automatically lose and get um, they play bad. And that's not a mental thing. That's just a momentum thing. But the teams that have those third lines that kill momentum or switch momentum. So that's like Tampa Bay has that line. Uh, Vegas has that line. Colorado has that line. Um, Carolina is starting to have that line where they have a third line that they can go there. They're not necessarily need to score, but they keep the possession. They kill the momentum of the other team and they grind the game to a halt to um, subdue the momentum changes. And these young teams of Toronto and Edmonton, they just are suspect to these mental um, sorry, not mental changes. There are these momentum changes where they're like, "Oh, um, Montreal, um, Winnipeg just scored a goal. Oh, wait, they're gonna score. Oh, no, it's already in my net, right? It's that quick switch, and you get that by experience, and you get that by a good veteran third line. Fair enough. So we are almost out of time. In fact, we're a little, ran a little bit longer than I thought we would. So I. Let's say let's finish it off just with this. Uh, we'll go through the second round matchups just real quick and just give picks, maybe like a one or two sentence blurb why you think they'll do it. Uh, and then probably next episode, we'll be covering at least one or two of the series that are already done. And I believe next uh, next time we'll be covering uh, the NBA playoffs as well. Correct. There's one thing I want to add once we're done doing our predictions. Okay. Uh, let's, let's start in the East. Um, we've got Boston and the Islanders, and I think I have to go Boston. I, I'm not going to give the amount of games cause I have no clue, but I think I got to go Boston just because as a great of a coach as Barry Trotz is, I just feel like Boston's uh, just a more well-rounded team. And yeah. Um, Boston is one bad pass away from being up to nothing. I think it's Boston. We we call this a perfection line, and the perfection line is very good, especially against teams that can't score a high end offense and like New York. So I think they Boston has it. Maybe six seven games probably, especially since the Islanders stole one with um that dumb pass. Uh, I'm gonna say Boston and um, Boston actually has Rask. They don't, and Rask is playing like playoff Tuka Rask. They don't have Tristan Jari like Pittsburgh. 
So yeah, I'm going with Boston on this one. I'm only saying this to be different and just to have a hot take. I'm going to say the Islanders. I'm going to say somehow Barry Trotz gets the Islanders past Boston. It's going to oh. be fluky, but I'm just to be different. I'm going to say the Islanders. Also, interesting thing to say. Um, who would have thought Hall and Eberle would be playing in a playoff series against each other? <laughs> in the East, no less, eh? Um, okay. Uh, second series, we'll go to the Central. And that said, I have a really hard time calling this series the Central because it's Tampa Bay and Carolina. Uh, I Tampa is really good. Carolina is really good. I I I want to say Carolina just because I'm like you talked to me for five minutes. I am not a guy that likes repeats. I love a new team winning the cup every year. Um, I want I want to say Carolina pulls it off. I think their defense might be able to contain uh, Tampa's offense. I'm gonna go with the Lightning. I think they're too good. They're just too good. There's no other way to put it. Tampa. Andrew? I hate to say it, especially because at the time of this recording, uh, Tampa went up 2-0 in the series. I I think Tampa still wins. I think Carolina could push it to seven games, but my heart really wants to say Carolina but my mind right now is leaning towards the 17 million over the cap Tampa Bay Lightning. Carolina is a very good team. Tampa Bay is a very good team. That's 17 million over the cap. <laughs> I, like, okay, I, I just made, I do make fun of them, but like, I don't see anything wrong with this Tampa Bay team and their cap. They just did like exactly what every other team is doing but just a better job at it. And so when they took Kucherov and Stamkos and put them on this um, LTIR and did this, they still had a bank on them making the playoffs. They still had a bank on um, them playing well and Stamkos and Kucherov coming back healthy. And just to point this out that this is normal, Dallas does this, did the same thing with Tyler Sagan. They just weren't good enough to make the playoffs and Sagan couldn't come back. Right, so um, Dallas is, was like eight million over the cap, and they would have gone more over if they would have made the playoffs. But they didn't make the playoffs, so Dallas did the exact same thing Tampa did, and they're not even in the playoffs. Hmm. Fair point. Uh, over in the West, we've got the what some people call the matchup of the century. Uh, between Vegas and Colorado, because both teams were neck and neck for the President's Trophy. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give this series to Colorado because I think, I, I straight up think that Peter DeBoer will not be able to outcoach the Avs. I 100% I, I think it comes down to coaching. Did, Nick? Nick? Yeah. Avalanche. Honestly, I think the Avalanche are winning the cup. So I think Colorado's just gonna steamroll over Vegas. Um my I'm gonna say Colorado. I know it's not very different, but because I do not trust Peter DeBoer and his style and I just don't know if 
he know has a way like has a strategy to shut down the top line of Colorado. Um, in game one, at the time of this recording, that has already happened. We're waiting for game two. Uh, Colorado won seven one. Like they made a statement, and six of those goals though were from that top line of Rantanen, Landis Cog, McKinnon, and their top defense McCarr. Um, so Vegas needs to find a way to shut that down. I think they should look over and uh, take notes from Winnipeg and Montreal and figure out how they did it to their respective teams to shut down that line. If they could shut down that line, I think they have a, a chance in this game. I don't think the next game will be a, a blowout. I think it'll be much tighter. I just don't trust DeBoer's ability to adapt to the other team. And if he does not play Flurry in the second game, this for sure will be a Colorado victory. I legit had Vegas picked until I start saw the starting goalie of game one. <laughs> I don't understand a lick of why Leonard was starting, okay? Leonard is a top-tier goaltender, like a top 15, top 10 goaltender in the league right now. You rid Flurry all season because of injuries, and you then rid him in the first round every single game. And I, there's no explanation. Flurry was not injured. They were like, oh, we'll just rest Flurry and put Leonard in. I don't know how Flurry's going to react to that. If uh, if I'm Flurry, I'm pissed that um, I didn't start the first game and you lost seven one. And then while you're losing, Leonard never gets pulled and allows seven goals. Like that's like even for both goaltenders, that's ridiculous. Like you pull a goaltender to um, get rid of the shame of letting in more and more goals because you're not in it, right? So both ways, it's just ridiculous. DeBoer, legit. I don't know what he's thinking. Um, I I don't hate him as much as Andrew does because Andrew has PTSD, but, like, I just don't know what he is doing. And And he's made that power play worse, and oh. And I'd like to add, like, Marc-Andre Fleury, at the time of this recording, he was just announced as a a top vote for the Vesna. Like, Mm -hmm. you've got a guy who is just nominated for the Vesna, and you bench him for a guy you haven't, you didn't play in the first round at all. Like, Marc-Andre Fleury is the reason that you got past Minnesota. I, I am confident if you play Leonard in that series, then Minnesota wins that series. Like, like it's different uh, if, like, Leonard was starting the whole time. Because, like, Leonard is good enough to be the same level as Fleury, but he wasn't starting the whole time because of other factors of injuries, right? Like, he was yeah, a starter absolutely. last year. He was the starter going into the season before he got injured, but he got injured. And Flurry took over the starting job because of playing time. And you don't just, like, change back. Like, because, like, Flurry won that spot. And it's just, I don't know what DeBoer's thinking. Like, and then for me also, he didn't even explain yeah. it. Yeah, for me especially also, this is round two. And the opponent they're up against, like, and especially in game one of the series, you try to want to set a statement, want to set a stone, what set... Uh, in stone, what you, how good your team is, whatever. But they're facing against Colorado, a team everybody's picking to, like many people are picking to win the cup. A team that's swept their series and has been rested, waiting for this moment. Like this is a juggernaut, and your team is still coming back from a game seven. So you're tired. You're 
feeling the still feeling the emotions from that, and you decide to play go with your goalie that didn't start all of last series and isn't the guy that just won you that seven game series. Like, I don't understand either. What um, I do want to say one conspiracy theory though that I heard. Lots of people were talking about this. Um, they were talking about DeBoer wanting to throw this first game on purpose. So he put Leonard in, and if you look at the ice times, everyone was ice times was similar in the 15-minute range. So he there's uh, people saying that he might have thrown it on purpose to see the game plan of Colorado. Um, I, I don't know how much I believe it, but... The oh, stuff of everyone I, I, playing. LeBron James Strat. LeBron James So, like, Andrew, that's what I thought about. It. I was like, legit, They everyone played 15 minutes. No one played over, like, 22, I think, which is, like, crazy for a playoff game. Um, and then the they started their um, backup, quote-unquote, goaltender, and they did questionable plays that game. So it's just like, did they throw to see um, what Nathan McKinnon was going to do or how are they going to react to it? and then they make changes for this game. I don't know. I will tell you after the second game, but it doesn't look good. But if the mm-hmm. Vancouver, sorry, if the Vegas um, Golden Knights destroy in the next four games in a row, I will come back to this um, tape, okay? Yeah. Well, well, before good. we go to the next matchup, I just want to say that that's an interesting conspiracy theory. I prefer the conspiracy theory that DeBoer is still acting like a San Jose Sharks double agent, and he's sabotaging our rivals from the inside. Andrew, that's not a conspiracy <laughs> theory. That's just in your own brain. No, that's <laughs> fact. Yeah, it's fact. It's fact. <laughs> it's not a theory. It's fact. The North Division, it is the matchup that no one expected, the Winnipeg Jets versus the Montreal Canadiens. Who do you got? I'm going with the upset. Montreal. <laughs> Would it really be an upset? I don't yeah. think it's an upset. I'm going with the Habs. I have no clue how this series is going to turn out. Um, because both teams are going to have to adapt. Both teams were built to take down like star players. So I guess maybe if Montreal can do that same adaptation to the players in Winnipeg, I, I don't know. I feel like this is another series that's going to be a goalie matchup. It's going to be who's going to break first, Carey Price or Connor Hellebuck. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and say Winnipeg. Just I, I think their forward talent is better. Um, I'm also kind of saying this just to make Nate salty, but I don't trust Connor Hell Connor Hellebuck, and I'm going with so I'm going with Montreal. Um. Brennan, who's a better goalie, Price or Hellebuck? I know Andrew's going to say Price. What's, what are you saying, Brennan? I would honestly say Hellebuck, but I'm okay. going to say that it's – I'm I'm going to add that it's really close because Nick, playoff, the best price, Hellebuck or playoff Price is – Price, okay. I say um, price. I'll just say this. The better goaltender is going to win this series. That's all. Like this, That's all this will come to. Whoever's the better goaltender will win the series. If you look at every series so far, I think there's only one series that the better goaltender did not win the series, and that is legit arguable. I think every other series in the whole playoffs this year, the better goaltender won the first round matchup. So I think it does come back to um, who's a better goaltender. 
Um, I think Price has a better overall career. I think the last few years, though, Hellebuck has been better. But Price is finally healthy, so he'll be close. Um, I do think Winnipeg's depth, especially forward depth, gets them over it. I, I already told you, Stastny's on the fourth line. That's like they they can run four lines easily. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. There are there's our second round predictions. We will come back and probably see half of them completely wrong. <laughs> All right. Before uh, we end, though, before yeah. we end, I just need everybody's prediction for one for one thing. August twenty eighth. Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley. Oh, I'm not even talking about it. I'm not <laughs> even talking about it. I'm going to go ahead and say we are going to hold that to another episode. Jake Paul. It's Jake Paul. It's Jake Paul. Actually, why don't, we, why don't we actually talk about Logan Paul versus Floyd Mayweather that Saturday, this Saturday? I think they're fighting each other. Let's go. I do not think we have time. I'm telling you, we are in the meme timeline. The meme timeline says Logan Paul beats Floyd Money with me. That's not happening. I'm going ever Floyd. since that. In, instead of uh, ever since that, um, um, our that lovely gorilla died. Everything has been memes. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace, Harambe. And I think with that, we're going to call it a podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Ban on Sports. We will catch you next time. Uh, in the meantime, follow us on Spotify. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you can get your podcasts. You can find us. And follow us on Twitter, at Sports. We will see you next time.